Welcome to the MLM podcast, in which we explore the insights, experiences, opinions, and habits of thought leaders and world-class performers. In this episode, I speak with Barry Winkless, who is head of the Future of Work Institute and chief strategy officer at CPL. He is a, a renowned thought leader in strategic creativity, change, and engagement, with a particular focus on how society is changing and what that means for the world of work. Barry has worked globally with some of the world's most respected organizations and is a sought after speaker and author. Now, within this conversation, we discuss why we are now living in the experience age, what employers can learn from theme parks, and why the next competitive advantage could be gained by looking inward rather than outward. It was a fascinating conversation, so without further ado, I hope you enjoy the Barry Winkless episode of the MLN podcast. Barry, it's great to see you. Thanks so much for your time. Well, we'll, we'll dive straight in and I'm, I'm keen to explore a concept that I, that I heard you refer to, um, the age of experience, and specifically heard you say that we're done with things, we now crave experiences. So what did you mean by that and what are the implications for the world of work? Big question, yeah. Uh, look, I suppose a couple of things, right? There, there was a book written by a guy called uh, Joe Pine a number of years ago called The Experience Economy. And, and in that, he called out this idea that, you know, we're moving to this idea of you know, moving from products to services to experiences to transformations, right? So it's a sign almost of uh, economic progress. Um, but, you know, a lot of those concepts have been were around before that book. And, you know, there's lots of different things happening that I suppose are enabling this kind of age of experience, right? So when you think about it, we, we specifically think about it through the world of work and, and a lot of the research we do in the, in the Future of Work Institute. And, you know, when it comes to the world of work, what we're starting to see is like a deep requirement, you know, for people to think beyond a job or a career, right? So there are more about, you know, is this experience in this business, right, going to in some way make me better or transform me in some way, right? So that's the, if you want to call it the, the, the kind of, you know, work aspect of it, right? So, you know, this idea of, you know, just, you know, I remember, I know when I left college, you know, um, you know, I'm sure Kevin, you were the same, was very much around, you know, get a job, right? And, you know, you know, if you can, you know, get a job in a good organization that you can have a bit of a career in there. And a lot of the focus I remember when I left, you know, university was, you know, try and work one of those kind of multinational organizations, you know, build a career in there, you know, and kind of, you know, work, you know, work, work through the process, right? Um, whereas what, what I'm starting to see now is, you know, and, uh, you know, we talk about this kind of jump in, in freelancers and the amount of people working on their own, but there's this kind of expectation, to be honest, that, you know, people will have good experiences within work, exciting projects, you know, interesting developmental opportunities, right? And in many instances, you know, sometimes that doesn't happen, right? Uh, but we are seeing this kind of move towards this more, what I would call experience, you know, driven business, right? So if you think about it, a lot of research done in, in this area, but more or less kind of 70 to 80% of people, if you look at different reports done over the, the kind of last 10 years, 70, 80% of people are valuing experiences 
you know, overbuying things, right? And that has massive implications in all sorts of ways, right? So take a simple example. You know, we're in a world now, Kevin, where because of the technology platforms and the connectivity that's available to us, we actually don't really need to own a car, right? We don't really need to own a car. We can have access to a car. You know, we can book our go car. You know, we can do a you know, rental of a car. We can access the car, but we don't need to own it. We can access the experience of having a car, but we don't need to own it, right? And in a way, the world of work is becoming a little bit like that, right? Because, you know, I can work with companies. don't necessarily have to work for companies, right? And that's a huge thing that's happening out there. And why? Because, you know, there's people out there that now want to create their own work experience, right? They want to own their work experience, right? And the best way you can do that is to potentially work on your own or to find an organization that is, you know, linked with your kind of DNA, you know, as an individual in terms of where they're going as a business. So there's all sorts of really kind of interesting things happening in the world of work, particularly for me when it comes to this age of experience, but it's a much broader concept uh, that's affecting everything really. Brilliant. Uh, well, before we leave the, the, the topic of, of experiences, let, let me put you on the spot, Barry. Uh, if you could relive one experience in, in your own life, what would it be? If to relive one experience in my life, what would it be? Uh, I, won't tell you, I, do, I won't tell you the company, um, but it was a particular uh, project that we did. Just really that moment of, you know, we just recognize you nailed it. And it was a project that we delivered in New York. And I always remember, you know, the kind of impact that we had, you know, coming out of the room, you know, in the particular project that we worked on. I always remember kind of walking down, down into the main streets of New York, just this kind of feeling of joy, you know. So I know that's probably a bit sad because, you know, when you call out like memorable experience, you know, most people go, you know, on personal stuff. Um, but, you know, that was one kind of work experience you know, that I felt, you know, has always kind of stayed with me. And I have to say it was that, you know, that coming together of the fact that you knew you did everything in your power with your team to make that the best possible outcome. And then, you know, the, the, the impact aligned what our expectations were. And it was also obviously the location that we were and knowing that you've done this great job, you know, so it was, it was all of those kind of three things together. Obviously I have a huge amount of memorable experiences, you know, from a, personal perspective some of them too personal to share i won't be sharing them on this uh, and others you know obviously relate to my family you know and, and to friends and uh, you know other things like that so but that's definitely a work experience that, um, that i remember good man thank you you talk about immersion over engagement mm. what do you mean by that okay another big question lots of lots of easy ones for me today kevin uh, look i think i think first and foremost you know we talk about engagement and you know we see a lot of organizations kind of driving engagement programs right you know so it's very much around this idea of you know you know let's let's create engagement you know let, let's 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 really force engagement you know to happen right whereas for me a leader's real role is to actually create an organization that immerses people in the mission and the purpose of that organization and the DNA of that organization. And by default, you're actually creating a level of immersion that doesn't need a, you know, a, a kind of push engagement process, right? And it's one of the reasons I talk an awful lot about kind of theme parks and theme park design, right? Because, you know, when we talk about, 
you know, immersive design. You know, the people that have done that the best for the longest period of time are people who design theme parks. So if you, if you really think about it, way back in 1955, the first kind of theme park was opened, you know, as Walt Disney opened the first theme park, Disneyland. And what really differentiated a theme park to what went on before, which are really amusement parks, lots of rides, you know, you'd see Coney Island and all these kind of things, you know, kind of nasty things in many instances. What really differentiated the theme park was this idea of story and immersive storytelling, right? Uh, so, you know, you're in there and you're part of a story. You don't need to be kind of forced down the route. You don't need to be kind of forced down a way. Uh, you don't have to be forced to think. It's a place where you go where you're ultimately very immersed. And there's almost a natural guide wire in terms of how you kind of traverse through that theme park. And it's one of the reasons a lot of, a lot of the work I do and a lot of the work we're doing in the Future Work Institute is around, okay, well, if we're talking about this thing, you know, everybody talks about employee experiences, right? But actually very few people are using the right thinking and the right tools to actually create real experience, right? Where do we find those places that do that stuff really well? And it's one of the reasons we, we look a lot at this idea of immersive environments, immersive storytelling, right? Um, you know, because that's the key to me to designing, you know, and, and helping design proper, you know, experiences, right? And I, I think, you know, one of the things I've learned over the, my career, um, and, you know, I've been involved in a lot of different businesses over the last 25 years or so, is that, you know, the great innovations come from applying ideas from a totally different area, not even a different sector, on a totally different knowledge base, into an organization or you know into a totally different space and really that's what we are kind of you know attempting i suppose with the work that we're doing around this kind of applying immersive storytelling to how we design organizations that are immersive by design right and i think that that's that's a really important point um i actually don't think a lot of or, or a lot of organizations are very good in how to design for their services and their products and their market growth but when it comes to looking inward and in terms of kind of creating this immersive environment that kind of fully harnesses the potential of individuals within that organization, I'm not so sure. Just to probe a little bit more on this concept of, of the work theme park, yeah. is there a, a methodology or a set of core elements of, of the concept of the work park? Mm. Yeah, there is. And, and, and again, it's, it's something actually that we've been kind of working through, actually we've most recently done a fairly significant piece of work with the American Chamber of Commerce members looking at this whole kind of idea, right? So this is a kind of, I suppose, let's call it developing real world concept, right? But I think the first thing, Kevin, for me is this idea of story, right? And, you know, people have a tendency to kind of jump past story, but I, I, like, to peep, I, I like to ask leaders, right? What is your future of work story, right? What's the script, right? If you write five-page script or a five-page story on you know, your, your future workplace, what would it say? Right? And the reason I say that is because we often kind of, organizations are kind of organic things, right? They often kind of evolve in some shape or form. And then the old jet dreaded change program comes in and tries to kind of evolve a little bit more, right? But there's no real kind of concept on what I would call the story of the future you know, of the workplace, right? future of how people are going to work within that organization. And I always kind of say, well, if we, if we can't craft even the script of the future, where we're going, then how the hell you know, are we going to actually you know, design something that gets us there in the first place? And, and I have to say, I do find that 
you know, when we talk about this thing of the future work, you know, you talk about things like, you know, the impact of technology and robotics. We talk about, you know, new working practices. It's, it's something that's kind of ha happens to organizations as opposed to kind of people designing their own story and letting it happen for them, right? So I think that that's really when we talk about that concept of the, the, the kind of work park, this kind of idea of this kind of thematic work park, the whole idea is to drive a much greater appreciation, firstly, of the story of the organization. And then secondly, it's this kind of purposeful design of that organization, you know, for the people in it, right? You know, and we, we hear a lot about kind of, you know, customer journeys and employee journeys and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, the reality is, right, is that it doesn't really work like that, you know, because again, that's a kind of predefined path, right? If you go into a theme park, there are different islands within that theme park, right? You can choose what island to go to. The important thing is we understand what the bloody hell those islands are. You take it from a, a kind of a workplace perspective. You know, one island might be our developmental island, right? That's a place that people go when they want to learn new stuff, develop new skills, right? We're not taking them on the journey, but we need to create the island that they can immerse themselves in that island when, it's, when they need to immerse themselves in that island. So we, we, we think about things like, we think about things very linear, linear, excuse my language, in a very linear fashion. You know, whereas actually that's not how we kind of deal with things. So, you know, that's the other concept for me. So it's story, purposeful design, and the idea of thematic islands, as opposed to this kind of, you know, set of, you know, prescriptive, let's call it, you know, journeys, uh, you know, that sometimes can be inclusive for people and other times actually can let people, people you know, left out, you know, from a, from a broader perspective. And can you share any examples of the, an organization that has got the, especially the, the story element mm. of this journey uh, right yeah well i mean I, so i mean i suppose a couple of things on this one right um first and foremost you know i'm going to introduce this idea this model that we use called the 3w model and i think it's important when we have this discussion so and, and this will be coming out in a, in a kind of a paper very soon and it's it's kind of at the core of, of, of my book coming out next year but you know, when we talk about the future work, we talk about three W's, right? One is the workplace, the second one is the workforce, and the third one is work task, right? So workplace is what I call where the work takes place, whether it be in virtual or physical space or combinations of that in between. Workforce is how we kind of design, manage, and motivate the workforce. And then work task are the kind of tools, the technologies, the mindsets, and the methods that deliver the work, right? So when for the first thing is when we talk about an organization and we talk about their kind of, you know, their what's what, what our organization's doing well within those areas, we need to kind of have those kind of three W's, you know, in our head, right? So, you know, if I think if I think about very empowered organizations, right, they are generally organizations that are very focused on this idea of self-management, right? Or flattened hierarchies, right? And you can see organizations like Valve you know, or a gaming organization, they have very much a, a very, very flat structure. So it's very much around self-management and it's right, seems to work right through the DNA of what I would call the workforce and work task elements, right? How they're managed and designed, how to deliver the work is very much around this whole concept of flat hierarchy, self-managed models, right? So that, that's one example. You know, we talk about organizations that kind of tell their brand story very well then you know you can look at organizations like virgin you know who have really i suppose kind of harnessed you know design and you know design principles right through the very fabric i would say in terms of 
all of their experiences in terms of the kind of products and services they provide. And it's, it, it also seems to filter, you know, through, you know, the organization, you know, itself, you know, and, and how kind of, you know, how things are done, you know, in that shape or form. So, you know, I think they're, they're the kind of ones that, you know, are really, you know, kind of interesting. And there, there are different types of companies that are doing similar type things, you know, but in different ways. You know, you've got an organization like Supercell, for example. What I really like about Supercell is their CEO is a guy called Ika Pananen. And, you know, one of his great, for me, one of his great kind of quotes is, you know, I'm the world's least powerful CEO, right? And, you know, that's a brilliant story to tell. Uh, and the reason he tells it is because the, 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 the business is literally, you know, developed and organized around cell structures, right? So small teams fully empowered to kind of deliver you know of course uh, pieces of work you know so there are organizations like that out there you know that are kind of starting to i suppose tell new stories you know about uh, the world of work and then there are other organizations that are more traditional and are trying to kind of move forward in terms of you know kind of thinking differently about you know different things you know i suppose my, my big my big concern around the debate around the future of work and i suppose it's one of my personal missions uh, on this whole thing is to broaden and to make sure the conversation is broad because you know because of the COVID-19 crisis a lot of the future of work debate centers on you know flexible working right but that's only a workplace discussion that's all that is the future work is about much more than that you know it's about the new methods we're going to use to deliver work it's about new management methodologies and philosophies it's about all of those things together and it's only when we see those three or those three W's together we can really understand what the overall impact is going to be and how leaders can design you know for the future work and, and I should say as well a really important point for me is and it's something I call out a lot is I fundamentally believe that you know those organizations that kind of can really define their future of work story and model will gain massive collaborative and competitive advantages right to really think about it right if you think about like one of the great kind of if you want to call it you know innovations on the work task side of things right you could take something like you know agile development right that's a it's really a method right? it's a method that gets things done faster okay so that's great right uh, and you think about the impact that even that one thing has had in terms of a lot of business particularly in the technology sector right that has had a major impact on a lot of businesses competitive advantage right so that's only one example of one methodology you know that's really very much forward thinking and forward focused about the future of work right yeah. so that's one thing that has changed things from a you know competitive perspective but then if we go further and we think about what about if we brought in new management thinking right new management mindsets what about if we stop thinking about the, the workforce as just this group of people that we employ and looked at it broader as a network that drives innovation, new types of ideas and new efficiencies? What have we thought about the workplace as something much more you know, multimedia, much more physical and digital? Imagine the things we could achieve as an organization. So I actually think that, you know, if I was really honest about the next kind of five to 10 years, we spend a lot of time looking outward, you know, as, as businesses. But I actually think the next competitive advantage is about looking inward, you know, as, as in terms of how we do things, how we structure ourselves, you know, where we work, the tools that we use in terms of how we work, kind of really uh, kind of move forward. That, that, that's a really interesting point. So looking inward in order to identify a competitive advantage and also taking a holistic approach to the 3W model, but yeah. also, uh, you know, addressing this issue of not only story but purposeful de design 
purposeful design. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, it's funny, Kevin, like, you know, I see a lot of the, you know, obviously you see a lot of reports around, you know, I'm sure you've seen them yourself, you know, feature skills and you know, all this kind of stuff, you know. And, you know, the reality is, right, if, if, if we could do one skill, right, if leaders particularly could do one skill really well, which is, for me, systems thinking, right? Because system thinking, for me, fundamentally is around how we join up dots, right? How we look at things at a broader, you know, more kind of, I hate to use the word strategic, that's why I always prefer the word holistic. How can we think about things that actually join up together? That, to me, actually is the number one skill that leaders really need to nail. And it's not... You know, we hear a lot about emotional intelligence and all this other stuff, but we get right down to the core of, you know, the kind of core to how a leader can really kind of drive the next level of value in their organization. For me, it's around systems thinking, joining the dots, finding new connections, right? Creating networks. It's all about all of that stuff, right? And if you nail that stuff, that to me is the one skill, you know, that we need to, and that by design to then make that organization much more designed, much more joined up, right? And, um, you know, we see a lot about kind of, you know, people talking about disengagement at work and all this kind of stuff. And, and in many instances, a lot of that is structural. A lot of that comes from the fact that things aren't joined up. You know, there can be, we've all worked in large organizations, I know I have, where literally the same project can be run in a different country. You know, nobody's joined the dots. You know, we've got multiple initiatives. You know, every organization I work with, their big challenge is too many initiatives, right? And then kind of go, well, but that's that's kind of your problem. That's your fault. You know, who joined the dots before going on this big binge of initiatives? And I do talk a lot, particularly to kind of HR leaders about this, you know, where lots of initiatives, but hard to understand the impact, hard to understand the overall goal, right, in terms of, you know, where these kind of things are going. So that's why I do fundamentally believe, you know, if anybody's listening to this, you know, bone up on your systems thinking and uh, you know your holistic approach to viewing the world uh, i'm not going to send them down the wrong path let's put it that way yeah yeah well you you, you referenced covid19 and it, it would be remiss of us not to, to have that conversation um when discussing the future of work and like, we are living through a great remote working experiment which in many ways has been enabled by technology. I suppose technology has, to a certain extent, dug us out of this predicament. I've heard you before use the analogy of petrol to highlight the, the potential unseen future negatives of technology, and, and that really intrigued me. What do you mean by that? Look, look, I always think when it comes to technology, you know, I think first and foremost, you know, it is a tool for us to use, right? And it is a tool that we make decisions around using, right? Like if you think about, and the reason I, I always bring up the car example is because, you know, the car became a great symbol, really, of kind of post-Second World War progress, right? It became the kind of, look at us, you know, we're kind of, you know, techno, we're now a technological, you know, organization, you know, we're technological, excuse me, an organ, we're a technological society, really. You know, before the computer age, you know, as I say, this engineering technological kind of, you know, the challenge we had is we didn't necessarily look at that technology, you know, from a long-term perspective. You know, we didn't fully understand the implications, you know, to the environment. You know, if you think about the amount of waste that was involved in originally in the supply chains of automotive, automotive manufacturers, we didn't actually understand or take time to understand the kind of long-term 
implications of those technologies. And I always look at technology in that, in that, in, in that what I call it the, the two lenses, right? One is what I call the immediate excitement burst, right, where everybody's all about a new technology. And then what I call the hangover, you know, side where, okay, you know, we've gotten excited about the technology, but now we're actually starting to understand the negative implications of technology, right? And what I often find is, you know, research struggles, you know, and, and you know, deep dive research, I suppose, struggles sometimes to keep up with, you know, the broader implications of technology. So I do think it's important, first and foremost, like the car, and I always use the car as a simple example, everybody has at some stage has either ridden in one or, or owns one, is that we need to think about all the technologies in that, within that context, right? So yes, it's great that we can all kind of, you know, work from home and, and work virtually, right? But what does that then mean, you know, to an individual's kind of psychological, you know, makeup, you know, in terms of, you know, how they actually think about themselves. You know, I'll give you a very simple example, right? And, you know, I'm sharing with you here a personal thing, right? But I, I kind of suffer from body dysmorphism, right? I don't mind saying that. It's, it's something I've had to deal with for a long, long time. And now all of a sudden, you're kind of seeing yourself, you know, in lifetime, even when you're tired or, you know, when you're, you know, getting you know, up at five in the morning trying to do a project, you're seeing yourself directly in your eye line all of the time, right? Yeah. That has had psychological challenges for me, Right, that I wouldn't have kind of foreseen, right? So, you know, all of technologies, any technology that we use, absolutely will move things forward and, and give us progress. But I think you, using again, coming back to my idea of this more holistic approach, we need to also think about the longer term, you know, implications of those technologies. And we need to continuously remind ourselves that the use of technology and, and how much we use technology and how much we actually use technology to replace, you know, humans doing tasks it's a decision, you know, it's a decision that, you know, as leaders we can make. Now, we make those decisions based on what I would call the, the kind of um, the, the mindset, right, that we have at that time. So if we have a mindset that's still very much just about shareholder value, just about the bottom line, just about X, Y, and Z, then we will have a tendency to make what I would call efficiency decisions around technology, you know, as opposed to broader, you know, humanistic decisions around technology. So I do think we need to continuously think about technology and what I call the yin and the yang, right? The good and the bad, the longer and the shorter term. Like what is all this going to mean, right? Because there will be a lot of unforeseen things that nobody has seen, right? Unforeseen challenges that we can't yet kind of fully know or fully understand, right? Uh, whilst also still pushing back, you know, in terms of technological progress. I, I find it fascinating that, you know, the amount of kind of holistic innovation that has happened you know, with the advent, for example, of a real environmental crisis, all of a sudden we could solve a lot of problems, you know, with, you know, different types of materials, you know, different ways of thinking, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So I do think we need to think about technology always through that lens. It's not always the shiny, amazing thing, you know, that it needs to be, you know, and we, there, will be circ there will be circumstances and challenges that we're going to have to deal with down the line you know, then five, six years time, 10 years time, and there will be different challenges. So I always like to approach technology from both the kind of a custodian mindset, you know, we own this bloody thing in the first place, and then also the cautious mindset. That's, that's why we think about technology. Yeah, no, fascinating perspective. And, and thank you for sharing. Are there any other implications from the, the pandemic that you expect, be that on, on society or on, on the capitalism, even you know the rise of freelancers will that be reversed what, what do you see happening what are the headlines 
Okay, so big question again. You're giving me all these ones today, Kevin. <laughs> I, 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 this is where I go. You should have prepped more for this interview. I know when you're joking. Look, I, I think, you know, we, okay, so let's take the rise of freelancers first and foremost, right? Like for me, the, let's start from an organization's perspective, right? For me, we're moving towards this idea of a work community as opposed to just a kind of fully employed workforce, right? So it's really important that we recognize that. So a lot of the companies that, you know, I've worked with and we are working with are using, you know, a model now that's a mixture of permanent employees, temporary contractor consultants, you know, people that are maybe doing three or four days of work with that organization. There's all of these different kind of types of, you know, people that are in this kind of broader working community for an organization that is not going away right? that is going to grow and grow and grow and i would say actually when we talk about the organizational design of the future it's going to be more organic and it's going to be more networked they're the two kind of top line things i would say so within that world right that's the organ large organization side of that world that's going to keep happening right and then on this side of the house on the individual side of the house because of this kind of boom in technology platforms and what i would call the democratization of toolkits right I'll talk to you about a little bit that in a minute. It means now that people can really, for, for the first time really, and really I would say for the first time in the last hundred years, can really evolve their brand, their business online, whatever that is, and find a niche that they want to find, you know, they can have access. So all of a sudden, people are now saying, well, actually, okay, there's risk. Right? I might have, you know, the money coming in all the time, blah, 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 blah. But equally, I've got this new toolkit that I can use to promote my business, to engage with kind of customers, to do things quicker, et cetera, et cetera. So we're going to see more and more, of, we're going to see definitely more and more freelancing happening. Absolutely, that's going to happen because that was happening before COVID. And yes, of course, people are going to kind of go, oh, you know, COVID has kind of, you know, maybe put people a little bit of a warning. But that's not looking at it in a broader context. If you think about the broader, broader context, most governments now are recognizing you know, freelance work and gig work, you know, that they need supports, right, when things aren't great and, you know, they will need different instruments to support those people. So it's becoming recognized as what I would call a pathway, right, for employment, right? So all of those things are kind of coming together, right? And that's not going to go away. So I would see that kind of, kind of you know, continue, continue to increase. And I do think we're going to kind of start to see more and more kind of, you know, solutions out there that will enable, you know, those individuals to kind of, you know, being more and more effective. And we're seeing lots of really interesting startups in this space now kind of, you know, how do we, you know, helping freelancers either do their, you know, finances quicker or marketing better, you know, so we're seeing all of this kind of stuff. And the, the reason I kind of talked about this democratization of tools, and it's, it's, something I, it's something I've been doing over the last 18 months is I set myself a challenge, and it's a creativity challenge, uh, because it's something I write about a lot, and we talk a lot about creativity and we talk about the future of work. I set myself a challenge to listen to a thousand albums right, and learn a song from each album and then kind of, you know, basically a thousand of the best albums, I should say. I don't, don't like listening to crap, but anyway, a thousand of the best albums, learn a song from each and kind of research around the kind of the ways and the people and the mindsets that made those albums happen, right? Now, I couldn't have done that 20 years ago. Why? Because number one, it would cost me an absolute fortune to buy all those albums. Right. Now I've got Spotify, I've got Amazon for four ninety nine a month. I've access to all of the world's kind of music library, right? So that's the first thing. Second thing, I can now tap into cheap, you know, um, kind of tools, right? Cheap recording tools, you know, cheap, you know, tools where I can break up tunes and learn how to play them. 
thirdly, I can educate myself on chord structures by going to any thousands of different guitar instructors that show you the different chords for a particular difficult song, you know, to play or whatever that may be, right? I now have all of these tools, right? And then we throw on the internet where I can get information and download books and Kindles and all this kind of stuff. We now have all of these tools where we can really go on any career mission that we want to go on, right? So the only thing that's stopping us really is ourselves to do that, right? Now I'm doing it because, you know, creativity is important for future work. I'm going to be writing a book on it. It's all that kind of great stuff, right? But the whole point is that everything has become so democratized in terms of these toolkits and more sophisticated that we can now create our own kind of career journeys. And an interesting kind of thing I'm really starting to see that I find really interesting. It's what I would call the kind of reverse talent thing that's happening, right? So for example, you know, somebody will come up and they'll do an animation as an example, right? And they'll do it themselves, you know, using a toolkit that's available. And then all of a sudden, the studio will employ that person, right? Because they like what they're doing. And, and what they're doing is actually better than what the studio is doing, right? You know, so they might, they might employ them or they might give them a contract. So, you know, all of those kind of traditional boundaries between employer and employee, that's all kind of filtering into something very, very different. And it's something that's going to kind of change fundamentally, you know, even the way that we think about the workforce. So, you know, I talk a lot to people about this, you know, a lot of organizations have a tendency to look at their workforce purely through the lens of their permanent employees and maybe a little bit about their temporary staff, but not that broader kind of work community, you know what I mean? And all the great stuff that, that can kind of bring to bear. Brilliant. Long answer, Kevin. Apologies. No, no. Well, well, I, I have two final, uh, very, very brief questions for you. Um, easy ones. <laughs> these are these are particularly easy. Rest assured, and that will bring, bring to a close what I, I've genuinely found to be a really well enjoyable, but very insightful conversation. So, thank you. The two questions are: um, Where can people follow your writing? Are you on Twitter? How can they keep up to, to date with your content and when the book yep. comes out? Yeah, so if you got if you got if your guys want to go on to Future Work Institute on LinkedIn, um yes. you can basically do most of my articles on there. I do have, I should say, a bit of a plug here, Kevin, if you don't mind. Of course. Um, I've got my new my own kind of personal uh, blog site launching um at the end of this month, uh, and it's barrywinklets.com. Nice and easy. And that will have a number of kind of new um perspectives you know kind of coming out on that i think the third piece then as well kevin that might be useful for some of your listeners is that uh, probably the first week of december we're going to be launching the, the future of work american chamber and a white paper that actually gives a lot more detail on our 3w model and some of the kind of perspectives from different members around the future of work i think that's you know for anybody that's interested in that uh, you know please hop into that uh, so those things you know you should have enough then to kind of uh, kind of follow. I normally kind of publish once every two weeks on LinkedIn. I normally do some kind of a talk maybe every three to four weeks, you know, either online or, or with the organization. So any of those things, guys, you know, please feel free to kind of touch base and, and please link in with me on LinkedIn as well. Um, sure. Great. And final question, I couldn't resist but to ask after the research that you've conducted, uh, your favorite album. God, I, I get asked this question all of the time. Um, Okay, I'm going to say this one purely because um, he's pro for me, he's probably the greatest kind of all-around musician, stroke artist, and you know, unfortunately passed away kind of a few years ago. I'm, I'm going to go with um, I'm going to go with Sign of the Times by Prince, best uh, double album ever made, and probably one of the greatest albums ever made. And um, when you think about it, he actually 
you know, played most of the instruments, produced it, and wrote all the music, and that just gives you a sense. And also the the, the kind of concert that he went on in 1987-88 was probably one of the greatest concert tours ever, you know. So what I'd, I'd advise your listeners to do is listen to the album with an open mind. And you know, I think there is. I think one of the signs of time tour, uh, you know, it was it was it's a it's a DVD and you can kind of download it, watch that as well. It's an incredible kind of piece. But I, it's hard because I nearly have a favorite album in each genre. Do you know what I mean? So uh, like you know, like it's it's a funny one in a way. You know, so you're kind of going, God, you know, it's a it's a hard one to answer. But I definitely go for that. There's a brilliant album as well that a lot of people haven't um, heard of, which is um, there's an album that X XTC. Uh, um, released, which was called Skylarking, and it was kind of it was actually produced by Todd Rundgren. I don't know if anybody else is probably some people would. And XTC kind of it was a different, it was a departure for XTC. XTC that album, you know, different kind of a sound, but it's an absolutely brilliant album. And it's a concept album of kind of morning to night. You know, it's nearly the day, and you know, on the summer's day, and it's a fantastic album. A lot of people haven't heard of. It. That's my bit of my outlier one. If people want to listen to that one. Right. Good enough, Kevin. <laughs> that, that is, I think that's a fantastic way to, to finish, Barry. So, look, we, we really appreciate your time. Thank you very right, much. So, Kevin, good to speak to you. Take care. Bye. Just a quick and final word from me, folks, to say thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, there are plenty more conversations with other thought leaders and world class performers to come. So make sure you're following MLN on Twitter. That's at MLN underscore NI. And sign up for our e-newsletter by visiting mln.org.uk forward slash join. It's all free. And in addition to receiving notifications about podcasts and speaker videos, you will also receive invites to free events, both virtual and in person, that MLN organizes throughout the year. The Management and Leadership Network is able to provide all of this for free due to the support of the MLN champions who are Amet Insurance, CPL, DAC Beechcroft, Danske Bank, Electric Ireland, PKF FPM and Ulster University. So thank you to those organisations and thank you for listening.